everyone. I'd like to invite you to listen to a new podcast called Artrageous. It's a podcast about the truly outrageous stories of the art and design world. I'm your host, Carrie, and each week we'll cover stories that are just plain crazy. Join me every Thursday for a new episode with stories from art theft, fraud, crime, and mysteries to designer drama, fun conversation tidbits, and discussions about current events. Find Artrageous wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Until then, stay Artrageous. Stove Leg Media, igniting conversation. Welcome to the 126th episode of the Pulling Tart Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Bobby Kuhn, coming to you from my man cave in Millsboro, Delaware. This week we have David Ruckman from David C. Ruckman Creative. Can't wait to get into it with him. Uh, I'm sure he's going to enlighten us with a lot of experiences and cool designs that he's done. If you like this episode, make sure to go back and listen to the older ones. Uh, There's 125 other episodes that are really great uh, with great guests and incredible stories back there. So go check those out. If you want a shout out, super easy, drop a rating and comment, um, especially on Apple Podcasts, but really whatever platform you're listening on that helps drive us up the charts a little bit, turns more people into listeners Make sure to go follow the designated Twitter account for the show at Pulling Tarp Pod. That's where you can find all up-to-date news about the Pulling Tarp Podcast, and that's where you can reach out about becoming a guest as well. If you really want to, you can follow me personally on Twitter at It's R.A. Coon. That's I-T-S-R-A-C-O-O-N. There is merchandise. You can get Pulling Tart Podcast stickers, coffee mugs, and wall art. Uh, You can find that in our Twitter bio. Uh, there's a link there, um, and you can, or you can go to tpublic.com. That's T-E-E-P-U-B-L-I-C.com. With all of that being said, let's chat with David Ruckman. everyone, I'd like to invite you to listen to a new podcast called Artrageous. It's a podcast about the truly outrageous stories of the art and design world. I'm your host, Carrie, and each week we'll cover stories that are just plain crazy. Join me every Thursday for a new episode with stories from art theft, fraud, crime, and mysteries, to designer drama, fun conversation tidbits, and discussions about current events. Find Artrageous wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Until then, stay Artrageous. David, welcome on to the Pulling Tart Podcast. Super excited to have you on and and learn more about you and uh, David C. Ruckman Creative. Uh, can you share with the listeners exactly what you do now with uh, David C. Ruckman Creative? You are a minor league baseball um, industry person for such a long time, and then you went out on your own and did this. So if you could just share a little bit about that, that would be awesome. 
Yeah, sure. Well, first and foremost, thanks for having me on. I know, obviously, you just told me 126 episodes that this will be now, and it's yeah. just what a phenomenal number. So congratulations to you and everything Thank else you. going on with you and your life. But Thank you. Um, yeah, I, I'm i really thrilled with this. Um, I was, as you said, an industry executive dating back to 2006 when I interned with the Peoria Chiefs. At the time, they were a Chicago Cubs affiliate, but yeah. uh, now they're the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, after working with them, I bounced around the country quite a bit and uh, ended up pretty much where I am today after finishing up my 10th year working in some capacity with the Charlotte Knights, uh, the AAA of the White Sox. Yeah. So uh, David C. Rockman Creative was born um, really in December of 2020, um, but January 2021 is when I became an official LLC and went through the whole mm-hmm. process of it. Uh, really, it was... Um, I think my primary functions now are graphic design as we've, um, as I've had some projects unveiling recently, Yeah. Uh, but I do a lot of video production, a lot of editing, a lot of animations for, um, teams using after effects, Adobe premiere pro for pretty much the entire Adobe creative suite, I guess you could say. Okay. Uh, it's a lot of that production and graphic design background, uh, through which I was able to carve out a minorly career, uh, or a professional sports career in a sense. But it's expanded beyond that now because I have over 16 years of experience in the professional sports industry. So now right. it becomes, how can I consult teams? How can I use my experience to help bolster their in-game presentations? How can I help them streamline some of these video production processes and getting things that are exciting, fun, and new out into your uh, LED display so your fans can enjoy the game a little bit more? Yeah. Can I help you integrate new audiovisual equipments and setups into your facility which i'm engaging with the team right now to do just that okay so it's it's a myriad of different things while at the same time i I live in rock hill south carolina so five minutes away from me is winter university so now i've taken my experience in minor league baseball and acting as executive producer for winter university athletics yeah i can teach and train those students who have never touched a camera before never learned it's in replay never known how to incorporate that skill set into a sports environment i can teach them how to do those things and pass on a lot of the knowledge that i uh, obtained over the course of my 16-year career so paying it forward in that sense on a collegiate level for hungry students who want to learn is just another outlet for me to keep going and keep teaching and leading all the while doing all these projects uh, as david c ruckman creative wow that's that's incredible you haven't been doing it that long i mean you you know you've been doing it for a long time but never out on your own like that um what made you want to go out on your own after working in minor league baseball for so long it's a good question i think in 2020 i I hate to keep harping on it because everyone has for the last three plus years, but COVID changed sure. everything. Yeah. I could tell when March 16th came along of 2020, when 20 people were furloughed from the Knights office, you started to look online, look on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, wherever you go online and be social with people. Right. Um, everybody was getting furloughed or we saw a lot of teams downsizing or some teams almost shuddering to the point where, You know, they're going with four or five teams or four or five personnel members on the team. Um, Almost like a, it almost reminded me of a summer collegiate Woodbat League team, someone who's kind of bare bones and then they grow as the seasons come back. Right. Uh, That kind of environment was widespread across professional sports, at least on a minor league level. Mm -hmm. But it's the conversations I've had with people kind of go 
along this road. If you take baseball out of the equation, what do you have left to do, right? So the core aspects of my job revolved around hyping the product, enhancing the brand, hyping players, presenting them in a marketing capacity to our fans, putting graphic designs together for our corporate partners who would be displaying their ads or their advertising strategies on our LED screens Mm -hmm. at Truist Field. So those functions now being gone, you know, what's left. And and I thought about it at that time. Um, Realistically, I thought about it a little bit beforehand, but my gut kept telling me, you know, what can I do to take this knowledge I have and just use it? So if baseball weren't coming back, for example, which, you know, we, we kind of knew in the back of our minds it would eventually, but right. if it didn't come back, what would happen? I mean, I could have very well have been furloughed myself. Mm-hmm. In fact, in hindsight, maybe I should have if it saved two or three other people's jobs, people who probably need the experience to go on to their next project. I don't know. Right. I could have been... I could have been fine. <laughs> it's, it's hard yeah. to look back on that and know what the right answer was going to be. But sure. invariably, when the season, when the lack of season, I should say, wore on, we had some video projects. Um, my director of video, Chase Christensen, and I uh, put together some MLB The Show uh, projects. Yeah, we were... I do remember that. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I, um, okay. I appreciate that. I um, We live-streamed a couple of times, and I was – doing play-by-play while I was interviewing guys like Dylan Cease, who just had an amazing season, and we yeah. kind of knew he was that guy. Um, he's, he's a cat guy, but we knew he had that dog in him, you know what I mean? <laughs> but, um, we had him, but speaking of dogs, we had our Bark in the Ballpark in that vehicle where we had the um, animal shelter um, partner with whom we usually do Bark in the Ballpark yeah. get on a stream and represent you know nine innings of different animals who can get uh, rescued or adopted during the pandemic. That's cool. Because those numbers were up just like a lot of other things were yep. up. So it was it was through little projects like that that I kept getting the little bug in the back of my head, like you can keep doing this, you can keep doing creative stuff, you can keep helping other teams do these projects, other organizations do these projects. Um, and that bug just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I think when the exasperation of not having baseball that year took hold, it was probably October when we were having some discussions uh, internally. And I just, I was at a point, I said, you know what? I'm ready to give it a shot and I'm ready to see what that next chapter is for me. Okay. And the, uh, it, it was terrifying to give that resignation. I think I went home and I, <laughs> I think I balled like all the, way, all the way home. It's a 45 minute drive between uptown Charlotte and Fort Mill, South Carolina in the middle of the day. But um, I, I knew when I got home and my, um, I calmed down and I looked at myself in the mirror, I knew I had done the right thing. Uh, so ever since then, it's just, it's been that. It's been incredible. Yeah. For any lack of a better word, because I've been able to do exactly what I wanted to do. The only direction we have to go now is up. So I, yeah. I, I'm just thrilled. That's wow. kind of how I was born. And I just, whatever that direction is next, I'm ready for it. All right. That's amazing. Uh, so you're, you got your hands in a lot of different aspects now. What's the, what thing is, what are you most proud of since you've gone out on your own so far? (laughs) There are so many different things I, I, I'm super excited about. I, I think what people know my name the most 
about now would be the Charlotte Knights brand refresh yeah. that just took place. Um, I'm very proud of that because I think it would mark the first brand I've done for the Knights in some capacity where it was almost universally positive. Sure. You your Facebook and Instagram commenters uh, saying what they will and some Twitter people, I think, just live for that snark. Right. I was so proud of that because despite everything else I had done for the team and have done for other teams, that's a sub-brand where you might get to see it for one night or several nights out of a 72-game calendar. It's not their brand. So with this being the first project of mine that I can say the Knights are going to look like this and they're going to take the field in that uniform every single day until TBD, that's a huge honor. And it says a lot to me about the trust and the relationship I've been able to build with the Knights, Um, knowing that I'm far from a perfect person, but the relationship could not have evolved any better than it did. Now that we know we can continue to work together and be creative together in all new ways. Sure. Um, And and there's just the opportunities never end there. I would say if there's a close second place, it would be my work that I do at Winthrop University. Okay. Um, Almost serendipitously, the person who contacted me about replacing a full-time employee who had just departed uh, was a former Charlotte Knights employee, and he and I got along great. He was in corporate partnerships and dealing with community relations, a role that was pretty similar for him at Winthrop. So he took me on a quick tour of the athletic departments, took me around with the Coliseum, took me uh, to a couple other facilities and just let me know, here are the expectations, here's the equipment, here are the people you're going to be working with. Uh, few and far between because they were in a rebuilding mode like a lot of universities and pro teams were at the time. And just building that program back a little bit to the broadcast quality that ESPN Plus requires and the just a program that will help me you know, teach and train students to the extent that they feel excited about coming back yeah. after they've fulfilled their class minimum requirements, you know, sure. that, that feeling that someone wants to come back just because they love working with me or they love just learning about sports production because of what I taught them a semester or two ago, that's yeah. the best feeling in the world. So I, I find, uh, I find new reasons to feel very, very happy each and every day yeah man it that 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 really does sound awesome um in addition to your minor league baseball experience and the work you're doing now um with david c ruckman creative i was looking through your linkedin and i i went back far i i dove deep and um i saw that you designed brands for a couple restaurants i think it was in chicago um what what was that like? What are what you know are the similarities and differences of you know designing brands for for professional sports teams or you know compared to restaurants? I guess that's yeah. You were you are going back. The <laughs> one in particular, uh, Irland Desi. Um, that was a project I undertook in two thousand and eight. So at that time, you have to, just to give you some context, I was maybe a year or two out of uh, college. I had just graduated in December of 2006, a semester after I was supposed to. I think I changed my major about as many times as I changed teams in minor league baseball. (laughs) But ultimately, I was in and around the Chicago area, and Taylor Street, which is right next to University of Illinois, Chicago, 
uh, several, uh, actually three sisters uh, who are friends with a college friend of mine, uh, all lived in that area. And the oldest sister, uh, Beth Ann O'Mara, she wanted to open um, an Irish and Italian kind of fusion breakfast restaurant. Okay. A friend of uh, my college friend and I were doing a freelance graphic design business at the time. This is kind of a roundabout story how we got there, but the long and short of it is she asked us to put the brand together. So okay. she wanted it to be a really sim- simple but elegant script font, and she had okay. kind of a vague idea. So in a lot of ways, like minor league baseball or like any like any branding project I can take on, it, it starts with that that vague idea that someone has in the back of their mind because ultimately i know when i talk to somebody they know what they want sure whether it's in a feeling or it's an experience or if they've had just other visuals that they would encounter uh, in and around their upbringing or around their neighborhood i mean there's always that little something that i know if i can hit on one or two of those points we'll find out what they really want to do and right. get them to not only say yes but to say okay yes i love that let's do that so that was that was really the journey that we took. And, and granted, I, I had never designed for a restaurant at that time. There was also a coffee company that was looking to uh, do something similar with their uh, coffee bean product and a few other things. But okay. inevitably, you had both of these in one form or fashion competing with a nearby Starbucks, which you're right. you know, ubiquitous, of course. But the... Um, the locally owned breakfast restaurants or brunch restaurants were still thriving and they still do thrive to this day in a lot of uh, areas, as you can see, North and South Carolina, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that process, once we finally got that script down, we talked about colors for a little bit, but ultimately that black and white look that we had with the font when we put it against a couple different backgrounds, um, immediately they said, no, let's just keep it black and white. Okay. And they handed us a bunch of old photos from Taylor Street dating back to the 40s and 50s and how the neighborhood had built up from that time through 2008. So really you're talking about 50 or 60 years worth of photos that helped tell the story of that neighborhood. So we thought, okay, these are all going to be in black and white. Let's just keep the aesthetic black and white. Let's try to not only do the logo, but do the menus, do the business cards, do all of the collateral. They didn't want to do a website uh, just yet. They wanted to see if they could uh, use word of mouth to get things started. Sure. Which, you know, I think in hindsight, yeah, you probably need a website too. But um, that, that aesthetic on the menus, the aesthetic on the walls, is all black and white, all vintage photos, really classy looking place. Uh, it, it did not, ultimately, I think a, a couple of years after that, they were forced to close and relocate so mm. i'm not sure if your own desi lives on in another area but okay. that process served as a template for me to understand okay how can i deep dive into someone's personality and find out what they actually want to do versus pitching them here are 20 or 30 different generic restaurant ideas i can give you and you pick one that you like you know right it always starts with that feeling that they have and i always ask people okay give me five or ten things in and around your neighborhood or from your, you know, from, from that idea you have, give me those five or 10 that mean a great deal to you and are influencing your thought process here. Cause at least from those five or 10, I can find a hell of a lot more information than I could just looking for things on my own or conducting my own independent research. You know, I would rather 
instead of taking a few days to just branch out on my own and guess, I want to know first and I want to have at least some core emotions tied to it because that will ultimately uh, steer the conversation and make it for a quicker and more efficient design process. So she ended up loving it at the end. Um, I was flattered. Uh, we were thrilled with how it looked as well. Um, it, uh, it definitely looks like I had only been doing it for a year or two versus <laughs> what I could do now, but um, just a got everybody's got to start somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that was a really good stepping stone for me to understand what I would come to learn again, you know, five, six years later. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome, man. That's, that's a great story. Okay. So you worked in minor league baseball for quite a long time and it sounds like you did most of your work in press boxes. So, um, I also worked in, in minor league baseball press boxes for a long time. I know um, in order for the game to pass by a little bit faster and, you know, you, you got to have a little bit of fun, right? Everybody in the press box has to have a little bit of fun. Did any of the press boxes that you worked in play any funny games or was there any, like, funny inside jokes that you guys rolled with? how many of them I can actually say without getting you in that's, trouble. That's true, yeah. That is, um, there's a little filter you have to put in. Oh, boy. Um, wow, I really have to think. It, it kind of, at every stop, there would always be one or two little things that became the inside joke, right? Mm-hmm. So I remember in 2009, when I was with the Binghamton Mets, they're called the Rumble Ponies now. Yep. Um, my director of video production, John Cofer, who is now the director of creative over at the Pittsburgh Pirates, okay. he runs their control room now. Um, yeah, quite a lineage. I swear, it's a, I'm very, very lucky. But uh, John and another intern, uh, Doug Webb and I, uh, were all huge fans of the show 24. And I think that year was, I think 2009 was either season two or three of 24. I don't really remember. Maybe, maybe it was even later than that. I'm not sure. But in any case, um, we would talk about 24, and during the game, there would be some random quotes from an episode or from the show in general where we would apply it to an in-game situation and just always get us laughing. That way, we were at least a little loose uh, in the press box. Uh, There were moments, I I think everyone tends to do this when you see a player's headshot. Um, There's always that little, like, he kind of looks like blank, or this player reminds me of Mm -hmm. X, Y, or Z. So there were a few guys like Mike Nickius looking like, um, I'm dating myself now, but like a great train robber from the 1920s. Some of those old films. Oh, yeah. Like, like triangular pointed chin and like he had a weird mustache once that curled. It was the funniest thing. I mean, we, we had little stuff like that. Um, once in a while, if I'm thinking fast forward to like the Tulsa Drillers, we would have... Um, We'd have on occasion different choreographed things that we would do to players walk up songs. Um, but we weren't, I think that was my first time that actually was my first time managing a control room myself. Okay. Previous experiences I had were, um, as an intern or a game day. So it's, um, I think the pressure of that weighed on me enough to where I was saying, okay, I'll, um, I'll back up off this a little bit. Yeah. And I think in my first couple of years with the team, I was doing more to uh, post on social media. So when I wasn't getting in trouble for um, 
posting something about a player who got pulled from the game a little early. Uh, I was, you know, trying to direct up front. Like you, I was doing public address announcing yep. every now and then, or I would fill in on music, or I would do this and do that, and um, not really a lot of time for games. But, you know, if I if I couldn't play them myself, I would encourage people under me, you know, especially on that uh, on the tech director side, if that person is punching cameras and, you know, producing the show in a sense when I'm, you know, not hovering over their shoulder, I would say, you know, just, just find a little something, have fun with it. Yeah. Um, even this past year, and I, I don't want to belabor the point of all this stuff, but um, this past year when I came back to the Knights to help them out on game days, um, a lot of times we find ourselves in downtime, like when a pitching change was occurring or... Um, sure. Maybe not during rain delays, but just other moments where mound meetings were going a little long or, you know, the team is down by however many runs. We're going into the bottom of the ninth and we need to hype everybody up. Mm -hmm. uh, we were doing the traditional fan cam stuff. And I think um, Endor has a song called Pump It Up, which I think got everybody just hyped. I heard it in a lot of different uh, sports arenas okay. in the ballparks last year. But um, on a whim one day... I was punching a show because our director had a conflict or something. And I just said, you know, if I might've said to one of our wireless cameras, I was like, you know what, just, just kind of toggle your zoom in and out and in and out or wide and tight as, as I, yeah. But, um, just go in and out, like along with the beat of the song, you know what I'm talking about? They're like, Whoa. and then they would do it. I'm like, no, no, just slow it down. Listen to like the rhythm of the song and then just go in and out like that. And one person did it, but then the challenge became, okay, can you get people to like play along with you as you go in and out and just let's see how hype they can really get. Okay. So when I got there, it was mid May. Um, and it was right around the time that the ACC uh, baseball championships were being played in Charlotte mm -hmm. uh, this past summer, which is a wild experience in and of itself. Oh, I'm sure. By the end of the year, every single camera in that place like knew how to do the in and out and every director is doing it. And okay. Always would be like, who's the, who's the least likely person to get hyped that you can get on camera, like playing along with you. <laughs> and, uh, you know, whether it was someone who, I, I don't even like using these words, but like goth person, or, you know, if you, if you spot an introvert or if you spot like an older fan who you don't think would be getting along right. with, uh, you know, modern music, uh, they, they, they would always surprise me with something or they surprise me with a fan who just gets a little too, um, a little too ambitious with their sure. <laughs> screen time. Let's put it that way. Okay. But, yeah, there's always a little bit of something. Yeah. And the rest I can't share with you because I don't I want you to stay monetized. That's that's fair. That's fair. I never thought about the you know, the toggling in and out, the yeah. that's that's interesting. Okay. It's, it's it's hard at first because you have to get everybody on board. If only one or two cameras are doing it, right. it almost looks like something's wrong. Sure. But people kinda of get it and you can mess with the lights. Like and the knights in, in particular had the LED lights switch where they can they can change oh, it from yeah. light into the um, the rainbow effect. Okay. The, uh, I can't remember the the blinking and flashing and all this other stuff. So if they can play along with you in the ballpark and really set that mood, like it, it is fun. Yeah, very cool, very cool. Um, I always like to ask you know people who who manage game day workers this question. What's the worst excuse that a game day staff member has ever used to call out of work? Ooh, wow. <laughs> um, hmm. 
few that come to mind, but we've been um, we've been at it for a bit. And I, I think this one just it's still I don't know if it gets me, but it's I've never heard anything like it. So okay, when I was in Tulsa, this was maybe 2011, and my second year as a manager, so I was already you know first year went well. Now it's time to hunker down and let's see some uh, maturation, not just in uh, the show, but in myself, and let's add a little bit more polish to it. In 2011, um, for all intents and purposes, was um, not as sweet as 2010, that first year when you're riding a high of a new ballpark and all this other stuff. And I, uh, yeah, I made more mistakes, I think, in year two, um, letting that comfort level kind of sink in instead of like just buckling down. Right. Um, but. With that, I tried to get ahead of the eight ball around mid-season, and I just started hiring more camera operators and, and getting that depth on a production crew that I think a lot of teams lack, uh, for better or for worse. Yeah. So the camera operator I had um, operating high home that night, he had to call out from the game because he said that um, he was feeling heat exhaustion and when he went home, he called his sister, who was a nurse, and she had applied rubbing alcohol uh, to his arms in order to help deal with the heat exhaustion that he was feeling and all this other stuff. Now, bear in mind, Tulsa is a very, very hot place. I think in 2012, that summer, we had one of the hottest four temperatures on the planet at one point. Okay. That's another story for another day, but the, the idea that a nurse that he would concoct a story where his sister nurse supplied rubbing alcohol on his arms to treat heat exhaustion. Like it's just that there are way too many variables here. I'm I'm not a doctor. I'm not going to pretend any, any one way or another that I know enough to say, I think you're lying. But I said, you know, I'm already kind of short. Um, and I'll tell you the other half of this one in a second, but I said, you know, you know, he told me at one o'clock in the afternoon he couldn't make it. I was like, well, the game's not until seven. If, you know, if you're feeling heat exhaustion, you know, I understand you can stay home or whatever. Don't worry about it. Um, if anything changes, let me know. But that's fine. right. He calls me around five o'clock and he says, hey, if you're, um, if you're still willing, I can come in and help. And he sounded kind of weird on the phone, but I'm like, well, okay, we are still. Now we're down two people as opposed to just you, so right. uh, we can use your help. Now, I, in that same day, I had two interns who had gone to a concert the night before and been out late uh, drinking and imbibing um, a sure. bit too much, coming to work that next day um, hungover. And this was one of the first times in my career where I would say, you know, instead of doing the full day before the game, um, you know, let's let's plan on having you guys come in around one or two o'clock in the afternoon because there just wasn't that much to do. Right. Uh, they were hung over to the extent that they um, themselves got sick while setting up cameras okay. and ended up just through that sickness, not being able to do their jobs that night. It's like, right. okay, so that doesn't work. Um, so after sending them home, I said, you know, we can use you. This guy comes in and um, he he did not have rubbing alcohol. He concocted the story because earlier that day he went and had a sales meeting with the client and they also drank. Oh, <laughs> so, okay. Yeah. So he came in and it was not rubbing alcohol. He smelled like, like alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, um, 
I would have been fine if he just lied and said, like, okay, I, that, that's just too many details, just stay home. But then he insisted on, oh, I'll, I'll come in and help. I didn't realize you were short. And then I, I can remember the guy just kind of wavering around and acting um, just with little regard for himself or the equipment. And he apparently fell down between uh, half innings or just stumbled, I guess, off of his feet. So um, he did not come back after that day, unfortunately sure. for him. But uh, it did teach me well, the other two guys um, eventually ended up not coming back either. But it taught me a lot about being a manager. Um, yeah. Not only just say, okay, if someone's going to lie to you with something that just off the wall bonkers like just take it and don't say you know let me know if it changes just no just yeah let them call off if you're short then you're short it's just how it works so nothing any nothing even close since then thankfully but okay those those are some good ones man Uh, wow (laughs) Uh, i had to think a lot about it but yeah (laughs) so yeah david uh when i was new to the Delmarva Shorebirds, they got a brand new video board. Nobody in the front office had ever had the pleasure of working with a video board, so I was the guy. I was, you know, the most familiar with Photoshop in the front office, and so I I was the video board guy. I designed pretty much everything that went up there, and uh, with that, you know, with different theme nights and that kind of stuff, I found that you can do a lot of cool headshot templates. Um, and you can have fun with it and whatnot. Um, but I know, I know you're a very creative person. So I wanted to ask you what the coolest player headshots or the most creative player headshots that you designed, uh, for a video board were. Well, first of all, I appreciate you saying that, but, um, I, I have to look back in my mind for, uh, an example, probably prior to, my time with the Charlotte Knights, uh, only because, no slight to them, I think there was a different um, mantra about presentation. They wanted to be more major league. Okay. And not necessarily altering the players themselves, but maybe once in a while a background could change. It was more of a major league presentation there. But uh, there are two that stick out to my mind. Uh, the number one in, in my mind, or my absolute favorite, would be uh, back in – 2013, I was with the Montgomery Biscuits for a cup of coffee. I was their director of marketing. Okay. Um, I was handling all the marketing campaign, but I was also, like you, handling the uh, control room. Yeah. Uh, we were doing a lot of uh, Photoshop, Illustrator work, etc. cetera, uh, in addition to everything else I had been doing for the team at that time. But uh, we, we had a night where we were honoring all the local uh, art community members in Montgomery, from the mm. Montgomery Ballet to art installations and exhibits that were all over the city at that time. Uh, of course, Riverwalk Stadium is right there in the heart of downtown Montgomery, so everything was in the general area, and yeah. I, I had a lot of great contacts in the city at the time. We were able to take player headshots on the night that was celebrating the arts and artists uh, in the nearby area um, and cool. change them into art. So you had um, you had Kevin Seitzer's kid, Cameron Seitzer, who's now a hitting coach with the Canapolis Cannonballers. Yeah. And he was made into uh, a Van Gogh painting. Okay. And we had uh, we had the Riverwalk of Montgomery, Alabama, done up in the way Starry Night might have looked. Um, That's cool. And a different artwork. So a lot of that stuff um, 
we're not in the same head shop, mind you, but uh, right. a, lot, a lot of those concepts were there where everyone was depicted in a way that was art or stylized, you know, with impressionism or yeah. uh, with cubism or anything like that. Pablo Picasso even uh, did a couple of them in, in mm. his style. Um, and some, some of those too, we would change the backgrounds to those same uh, buildings where the Montgomery Ballet uh, performed, uh, you know, opera and concerts, anything else or any other arena where these took place, including Riverwalk Stadium, of course. Cool. Uh, we changed all of it to feel very uh, artistic and very art-driven, uh, very organic in a sense. So that, that was a lot of fun. Yeah. We took a lot in that. I mean, me personally, too, because my, my whole history of getting into this business began with drawing and painting and studying art history uh, throughout my school years and my college years so that was a lot of fun the other thing i would love is the turn back the clock concepts which we did a few times in tulsa we did it in uh binghamton new york one night uh, with the binghamton mess um, a lot of it just goes back to those old-timey baseball cars that you could see from cigarette packs like the honus wagners e- of the yeah. world War, which you'd see in uh Back at a baseball card monthly when I was growing up, and they had you know like the Hall of Fame issues or something like that. You can see the fifty-two tops mantle or right, Mays, Duke Snyder, um, Babe Ruth, some of those old cards. Just it, it's that kind of look and feel that I really love. Um, Allen and Ginter of the uh, Tops brand is one of my favorite baseball card brands every year, just because it has that same throwback appeal. But depicting players in that old grainy style, and again. Maybe not necessarily drawing them or adding drawing filters, but giving them that classic look. Yeah. It gives them and it gives the uh, fan base in the stands that night just a, a sense of that bigger than <laughs> that, that, that larger worldview. You know, it's, it's much different than going to a local ball game and spending seven or eight bucks or ten dollars or whatever it is to watch these guys you know, fingers crossed to win a ball game, but sure. you understand that they're part of a much larger tradition, um, which is baseball. And my, it's my absolute favorite sport for one, but um, the players themselves, I think come to understand too, even visually that they're part of a huge tradition in this country. And I think one that Absolutely. has stood the test of time and become part of the fabric of American minds. I yeah. love it. So those nights are great. It, it feels fun to do that and then be able to produce vignettes and other similar stylistic things as part of the show to um, resonate along with those headshots it's not just a one and done type of project that evening you know taking that aesthetic and applying it to the whole game just like the local arts night we did in montgomery alabama that's the kind of creativity i love to see in ballparks and that's those two examples alone um, at least told me that that minor league baseball in particular was my home. Like this is what I love to do. Yeah, yeah, that's that's awesome. Both of those ideas are very outside the box, and I love it. I'd love to go to a, a game sometime and have something like that be on be on the video board. That's 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 wild, man. Um, so, what is your f- most favorite jersey design that you've created so far? You gotta maybe pick one. Um, <laughs> ow. These are all good. <laughs> these are all really good questions too, by the way. Um, wow, I've done, I've done a, a lot of jerseys. I mean, I, it's hard to pick one, right? I have. There was one we did. 
There was one we did in 2020, but then we didn't get a chance to do it until 2021. It was a kid's jersey um, designed by a resident at Levine Children's Hospital. Oh, um, okay. He, she was 13 years old, I believe, at the time, and she designed the jersey. We had her out to throw a ceremonial pitch to announce her as the winner and do all this, and then they wore her jerseys on the field. I mean, that that's that's amazing. How could you not say that? It's the right. favorite. Um, there was my first ever food identity that I helped design for the nice, the Charlotte Pitmasters. Mm, yeah. Uh, I take so much I take so much pride in that because it came out. I mean, even when the first year, when the colors were a bit redder than I wanted them to be, and it wasn't a a perfect fit, almost that Texas Longhorns brown, I guess, that we were going for at the time. Um, You know, talking with a few members of the staff that year, and I, it almost seemed like the reds were perfectly fine because they mirrored the conflict of barbecue styles that you saw in the state anyways, the mm-hmm. tomato-based, vinegar-based, all this other stuff. So yeah, it really, um, it really worked anyway. And the hats were tremendous, uh, got huge compliments, but seeing them coupled with the jerseys and that kind of localized barbecue restaurant style that feels very locally owned, um, I was just so happy with how those came out. I hope sometime, um, you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. I hope they do it again in the future. And um, when someone design it or update it, I'm certainly happy to do that. But I, um, I took a great deal of pride in that. Um, we, I did the, um, I did the City Connect jersey. Yeah. We saw the Holy City um, jerseys come out in Charleston, the River Dogs, which is a bit of the inspiration. But we, uh, I did the Queen City jersey for the Knights, and those were pretty well received. I love those. Um, truth be told, Michael Kopech's first AAA start um, was in the Queen City jersey that September oh. of 2017. So, okay. Uh, and it's, it's wild. I, and I that was the first uniform I've ever designed that got onto a um, licensed baseball card as well. You can see Michael Kopech in the jersey. I think yeah. it's, um, it's a top set I know it's minor league or it's top premiere. I'll have to think about that off screen, but um, that was one of two that got on a card. The other one was Eloy Jimenez getting on a a Copa uh, baseball card subset. Uh, He was in the um, the Caballeros brand that I helped design for the team in 2019, um, which if you're familiar with Vince Petrofezzo uh, with minor league major league baseball he is extremely talented and um, I hope he didn't take that as a slight that the team wanted to go in a different direction after years one and two um, oh yeah but uh, Vince is just terrific he did the design for uh, the first go around the Knights were one of the first four Copa teams yeah because of the um, Hispanic and Latino population just rising so fast in the area sure which I'm really, really glad they did it but just putting that together after being taken so far out of my comfort zone, designing things from an Hispanic and Latino standpoint. I mean, I have a lot of, a lot of love for that Jersey too, you know? So it's, sure. it's, it's really tough to say, it's really tough to pick just one of them. And now I, I can tell people I've got the Aloy Jimenez card somewhere here in my, in my office, but it's, my work is on baseball cards. My work is on the field. My my work is seen on players in images that are 
framed or printed onto canvas prints hung on the walls at Truist Field. I mean, it's it's incredible. It's all amazing stuff. The Aloy Jimenez bobblehead the team put out in 2019 featured him in the Caballeros uniform. Oh wow! Uh, which and uh, worn uh, before that point, so that was kind of wild. That's cool. Uh, so just it's when I say those things out loud, I don't say it out of arrogance. I say it out of just total humility and just feeling like I'm one of the luckiest human beings out there. You know, if you talk to the right people, they'll say, yeah, he's lucky because he sucks. Like, it's just, it's, I cannot tell you what one Jersey would be my favorite because it's like asking a parent to pick their favorite child. Sure. They'll grow when they have uh, different personalities about them and they all have, um, they all take on personalities, these uniforms and these brands of their own. Um, so, I mean, if you ask me a year from now, I might have a different answer for you than what I've rambled on about today. But it's, just, <laughs> it's one of those things. I, I, I love everything I do for a variety of reasons. It's really tough. Sure, sure. No, I totally get it. And I knew that was going to be a tough question, but you, you answered very well. So... Um, <laughs> And I know I know that you're doing a lot more public speaking these days as well. Um, do you get nervous while public speaking still, um, or or how do you how do you get past that in order to deliver, you know, a a good speech or you know a class or what have you? Yeah, I I used to have problems with it because I think. And maybe you can help um, add some context to this as well because you're of the same note being in control rooms and being behind a camera, so to speak. Yeah. When you're, when you're not uh, well-versed in front of a camera, quote-unquote, or the proverbial camera where you're commanding a room or when, you, when you're presenting something to your teams, if you have annual retreats and you're talking about, here are the projects we did last year and these, these are what we think are the most successful ones, here are the results, blah, blah, blah. Here's, here are some of the goals we want to accomplish this year. I think I think I've been more successful just taking myself out of comfort zones and being able to understand that comfort zones as they apply to people, as they apply to locations, or even in, in this sense, as they apply to larger conversations about um, questions I don't know the answers to off the top of my head or just subject matters that... Uh, I don't have a lot of experience in based on the previous 10 or 15 years or whatever, but I've been asked to present on X. So I'm going to do what I can. I'm going to bust my ass to know everything about X and apply it to my own experience. So it's, it's always the same three things that help me out when I'm talking to a new group or I'm talking to a new podcast host or I'm talking to an interviewer on the radio. I've got a radio thing coming up here in two weeks. Okay. I, I don't get nervous around people anymore. I, I always think back to the three things. A, do I know what I'm talking about? Yes. B, is anything going to go bad for me if I stumble or stutter or say uh, uh, a lot? No. And the third thing, and it's always maybe the most important thing of all, do you ever feel like you're lost? And if someone asks me a question where I'm just sharing stories or if I'm 
thinking about my favorite this or my least favorite that, what's the best, what's the worst, I I might get lost in thought for a split second, but when you're really, really passionate about something and you're really tuned in on what it is you're presenting, you don't really get lost. Because at the end of the conversation you have with people, whether it's a 15-minute thing or an hour and a half like this episode might end up being, <laughs> it's, uh, it's all about what's the benefit from a listener or what does the host who's asking the questions maybe gain from it, you know? Um, I can I only know how to do two things, and it's just talk all day long and laugh, you know? <laughs> Right. If I can, if I can get myself to laugh at a few things because I do stupid things every now and again, I sure as hell say stupid things every now and again. Don't if I'm all. comfortable with myself, I know the other person's going to end up being comfortable with me. I can read the room pretty well, and I know when those nonverbal moments are going to be a little less than comfortable. Mm-hmm. But that just gives me a reason to just be myself and go back to what I know how to do: make people laugh and just relax and keep things a little casual uh, from mm-hmm. time to time. If my answers uh, should be five words, I hope someone will tell me because I'll give you 500 every time. (laughs) I promise you at the end of that 500-word essay that I submit to you verbally, you're going to have the answer that you want and you're going to have a lot more to it than you had before. Sure. So I I guess the one word encompassing all of this would be confidence. Okay. It's the same way I would teach someone replay or direction or camera. You know, if, once you get your reps, once you do it more and do it more and do it more, that confidence is there. Uh, I've talked now to students so many times. I've held meetings with production crews so many times. It feels to them like they're going through a script 70 or 75 times a year, right? But right. if you add a little something different every day or if you set different goals or if you have a game you play and you incentivize them during that meeting, just just going through the motions is one thing, but instilling a little sense of confidence and happiness and encouragement in a game day meeting, those are little tidbits here and there that help me as a public speaker. Okay. Those help me have conversations like I'm having with you right now about my career. And I've been fortunate and unfortunate enough to make so many mistakes and fail so many times too, that it becomes easy for me to say, okay, here's what I did wrong back in like year X. Here's how you can avoid that. If you're going through that right Right. now, all these lessons I've learned over the years, like I wish I knew them before I went in, but because I didn't, Hey, 16 years is a lot to try to pour out of someone's head. For sure, yeah. <laughs> I think any opportunity I have to just help somebody out or just add a little perspective, yeah, that's cool. It's just it's just another conversation for me at this point. Okay, all right. Very good. Uh At True Crime Cast, we cover the big names and cases that everybody wants to hear, but we specialize in the small town unknown cases you've never heard of. If you're listening to True Crime Cast, you'll hear us give the details of each case and our analysis of whether or not justice is served. Find us wherever you find your favorite podcast. Y'all should go ahead and subscribe and join in on the conversation. I'm Jamie. And I'm John. This is True Crime Cast.
what is the craziest situation that's occurred during a game that you've had to assist with? Anything pop up that was super crazy? There's some things I'm not going to tell you because, again, I want to keep you <laughs> sure. in trouble. Um, wow, yeah. I had to think for a split second on that one because i got to remember which team it was. Um, so there was – man, I'm trying to remember if it was the right team or not. I think it was in Charlotte. But we had um, – our very first year, our very first year, we had a Negro League night. Okay. There was, I had previously, and by previously, I mean maybe several years before, I had previously visited the Negro League Museum. Oh, sure. So I told our promotions director, uh, which if you haven't gone to the Negro League Museum in Kansas City, please go. It is an incredible experience, and I think you uh, – any baseball fan or enthusiast or just sports fan in general, it's like, I think I paid seven bucks to go there and to the National Jazz Museum, which is right next door to it. You spend, you know, two or three hours, whatever it is, going through all the exhibits if you're really interested in them, like mm-hmm. I was three hours. Right. But you go in and you have a great day, seriously. But I digress. I left there with um, a Kansas City Monarchs hat. I went with a, mm-hmm. uh, left with a couple DVDs. I have a Buck O'Neill bobblehead that's one of my oh, favorite trinkets cool. ever. Uh, from baseball. So I told our promotions manager at the night, you know, hey, I've got a couple of DVDs from the Negro League Museum. And uh, without thinking about it, before we put it on the uh, video board or through the sound system, you can imagine when they're recounting the history of uh, Negro League baseball and the um, and really the desegregation of the sport, um, when, when someone's narrating the newspaper articles at the time, or some of the articles, mm. uh, or the headlines, I should say, um, some unsavory words are said. Sure. And when um, when you have former players uh, from semi-pro and pro Negro League baseball teams in attendance, you know, you have to you have to be cognizant of what their reactions are going to be if they don't get the full context of the video or if they just happen right. to catch it and be like, wait, what, what in the world, you know? Right. So I, um, I took full responsibility for that when it happened and there were screams on the radio, get that down. I can't believe you didn't check that. And, you know, it's, uh, yeah. and me in my head, I, instead of re- responding to the situation better, I think, I think I was more upset that a young 20 something was screaming at me on the radio. And I'm like, uh, no, <laughs> you know uh, I mean? yeah, yeah. the year before, like, I, I'm not going to take that. So I kept it up there. And the reason that that video continued to play was because the story resolved, right? The narrator, you know, reconciled it. And it was part of a larger story. Mm-hmm. It, it wasn't because they felt like the word should have been censored. The within the context of it, it was important. okay. Yeah, so absolutely. I I would never ever 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 condone playing any audio that would have that language ever. Sure, but at least in that moment, we felt a little bit better about it 
despite you know the follow-up conversations where i took my lumps and rightfully so i should have vetted those yeah videos, put them on the scoreboard that's just a rookie stupid rookie mistake quite frankly but i i'm glad that we were able to salvage it a little bit and i remember leaving the control room shortly after this happened and we went to other videos that were much you know more suitable sure. for entertainment purposes and i went down to the traveling negro league uh, museum exhibit and I, I approached a couple of the players and one of the organizers and i profusely apologized because i wanted them to make sure that they knew yes it's me it's my fault okay. i apologize please don't blame the team it was my mistake and my oversight and the um I'm not going to mention names just because I don't want to sure. get old. But the response I got from them is, I appreciate your apology. We're not offended because we heard all the context of it. And right. I was like, and the, the person organizing the traveling museum exhibit says, I have that same DVD and I know why you kept it on. Right. So just in future years, yeah, don't play it. Okay. <laughs> but he, he, he more or less said, and I'm, um, I'm paraphrasing quite a bit, but he said, you know, I, I'm glad that you played it because people are coming up to us. Just, wow. They really, it actually started positive conversations with people who were looking at the exhibit and they right. were talking with them more honestly than before, rather than just kind of browsing. Okay. And it, it, I got super, super lucky. Um, I'm glad we didn't have to issue just a formal mea culpa, although I was, probably sweating bullets at that moment because I was just afraid. Like I offended these people. I feel awful. You know? Right. So that, that was one of maybe two or three times in my 16 years where I thought legitimately I, I was going to get fired. And I even allocated to our general manager and our COO at the time. Like this is a huge mistake. It was my fault. Don't, don't blame, you know, don't blame this person. Don't blame another person. Blame me. Mm -hmm. it's, I deserve it. And they said, it's cool. We talked to everybody and they're, they're good. No. And the fact that you went down and apologized, you know, meant a lot to them too. So we're fine. Just okay. Again. Wow. Wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so I, um, that, that was, that, that was at least one that I could tell you where I made a huge mistake and that, you know, was the end of it. The, and we're talking about purely situational from something happening outside of the ballpark. The other one that comes to mind would be in Charlotte, where uh, in 20, this is right around the time where um, a lot of demonstrations, protests, and you know some rioting happened after the uh, shootings of several uh, members of the black community around the country. Mm -hmm. And it was at that time that we saw a lot of communities being very vocal and very mobilized and sure. just making their voices heard, you know? Unfortunately, in some cases, that turned to violence. Um, there was one incident in 2018 where um, we had people on the suite level, I think, dumping their beers onto people outside because they had been oh, throwing gosh. rocks at the building and at the gates. And I think people were worried that they were potentially hurting people, which that's warranted. But, yeah. you know, when there's some more instigation taking place in the ballpark and some other people collapsing fences out in the left field oh, area gosh. trying to get all this other stuff we had to um, we had to by the end of the game uh, figure out not not a full on emergency evacuation but a modified evacuation 
uh, process, wow. working with CMPD and a few other um, staff members on hand to direct us, uh, particularly on the security side. I mean, everyone did a tremendous job navigating that situation as unfortunate as it was. But I can, when you're getting rapid fire information, either on the radio or an email or someone's sending you a text Mm -hmm. and you're frantically running with your phone to the public address announcer to get it done while someone's typing it furiously into Photoshop and putting it on screen. Yeah. One simple moment, I say simple, but you and I both know it's not simple, but one moment like that can involve four or five people and 10 or 15 different steps upstairs, let alone the dozens more who are mobilizing on the concourse level and seating below mm-hmm. area and, and so on. So without knowing what that next step was going to be, you have to inform as much as you can without creating a panic. And you have to think about what does that next step look like when people leave through the one or two exits you've designated as your exits that evening, right? right. So, that information constantly just funneled upstairs to us. We were saying it multiple times on the concourse and on uh, through the sound system just because, you know, with people all over the place in the concourse, it's a little tough to hear, I admit. Mm-hmm. But it, it's, that would be, that represented maybe the wildest moment that was totally out of our control. Sure. And we were just responding to it as opposed to the previous one where I, it was totally made for my own, um, lack of forethought right <laughs> luckily the situation a little bit better so cool. we were able to diffuse both but in terms of just wackiest situation and maybe most trying yeah yeah those two right away for sure wow um so this is this is the pulling tarp podcast and yeah. with with your experience in minor league baseball um i I got to ask, do you have any crazier wild tarp stories? I think I was fortunate enough to never get stuck under a tarp. I've seen our general manager uh, at the Knights get stuck under a tarp. I've seen the groundskeeper, uh, Matt Parrott, multi-time sports turf manager of the year winner. I think he won his fourth in a row or fifth in a row, something like that. This past season, He's, he's tremendous, but... I think he got caught under the tarp once this year, but you can see someone who's been in a situation before, he knows where to crawl and where to do all that. Stuff. Right. Uh, the wildest one I think I can remember probably goes back to, I would say Binghamton, New York, because in an area where you have, snow in April and I can tell you that there is snow in April where uh, my hands would feel frozen after Absolutely. operating a camera without a glove with or mm-hmm. without a glove in third in the right field or sorry left field third base location yep uh, there the rain and the thunderstorms and the wind that can get trapped in a ballpark um, get pretty wild mm-hmm. especially in a year when you have uh, hurricane weather and then this creates a weather pattern that gets trapped in the northeast or the southeast or whatever that year this is 2009 mind you there was enough wind and enough rain and uh lightning taking place where once this tarp was pulled you had uh, there was really nothing you could do besides putting a ton of sandbags and people literally standing on this thing wow. or hammering it down into the grass and dirt with stakes 
that was going to keep it down because the, the one night in particular, I can remember the tarp being pulled uh, mid-game and with double A staff that was already like modest in size, mm-hmm. you had to stand on it, but the winds got so bad that the tarp would kind of float off the ground and spin a little bit. And then one gust of wind just took it and like half of it went up into the seating bowl oh, <laughs> on the wow. third base side. And uh, the frantic uh, view of people running up the seating bowl to get the other side and kind of like lift it up over the seats and help the other half, like pull it back down onto the field and then try to reposition it. When you see players getting involved, knowing that, oh crap, you know, yeah, it's just, just seeing both teams get out there and try to hold this thing down until they can finally get some weights on it or drive a vehicle onto it in one corner and et cetera. Right. Those are always wild moments. That one in Binghamton in particular was just unreal. Wow. It was just towards the end of the year too. I think it was even in September. Um, of course, during hurricane season, sure. like August, <laughs> September, somewhere in that time frame. But you just, you're, you're at the end of the season. You've, uh, the met the BMS that year were going through it, let's yep. say, and um, the final two or three games of the year, you're like, all right, let's just let's finish this up strong. Let's get to the end of the season and let's, uh, you know, see oh, what yeah. comes next. I, you get moments like that where like people have to run around and you're hoping and praying that the tarp did not uh, cover people in the stands or hurt anybody. God mm-hmm. forbid. So yeah. I, I, I can't recall a time where, I mean, I, I haven't fallen, fingers crossed. I'm, I'm sure someday I'm going to fall after I said that now, but <laughs> I haven't slipped. We haven't had anybody, um, we haven't had any wild stories in Charlotte from what I can remember. They're, they take tar very seriously, very, very seriously. Okay. Uh, even the team in, uh, even the team in Tulsa was uh, very diligent about it and, uh, I think in all the years I was in Oklahoma, very rarely did you get rain because we were always dealing with droughts or extreme heat or something like that. Right. So, few and far between there, but okay. yeah. I, thankfully, thankfully, no more than that one blip. All right, perfect. And um, so we got about seven minutes left on the Zoom call, so um, yeah. we got three more three more questions here. So. Um, I've spent a little bit of time in Charlotte because my sister lives there. Um, I went there for the first time back in September. Um, Loved it. There's a lot of cool craft breweries. There's a lot of great restaurants. Uh, So you tell me, what's the best place to eat in Charlotte that I got to go to next time I'm down there? I I am going to make Charlotte mad right now and say that my favorite place is not in Charlotte. Okay. Next time you're in Charlotte, ask your sister to take you about 45 minutes to an hour uh, southwest or just straight west of the city. Go to Shelby, North Carolina, okay. and go find Redbridge Barbecue. Okay. This is it's been ranked by a number of sites uh, as as the top, but it is the absolute best barbecue place in the country maybe right. arguably the world i would say but okay it's nationally ranked it's a it's a wonderful place it, it really encapsulates that north carolina lexington style of barbecue um and i think based on how they prepare the food it's just 
it's just unbelievable. You're not going to have any barbecue like it. Um, you could go up to Lexington, North Carolina, which is a little over an hour away uh, from Charlotte in some cases, and try barbecue up there. But Red Bridges is the best. Okay. Uh, luckily, Charlotte has so many other restaurants too. Too many to name. Um, but I, yeah, Red Bridges is that place for me. For All sure. right. All right. I'll have to go there next time I'm down. And, uh, David, where can the listeners find you on social media? I know you're on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, but yeah, where can they find you? Well, you can find me on Twitter at Ruckman Creative. Um, you can find me on Instagram at David Ruckman Creative. That's the same as my Facebook page at David Ruckman Creative. Uh, if you're on LinkedIn and you want to connect or follow, um, I do have some generalities and some comments i can make about things uh, pertaining to sports or whatever but david c ruckman is uh where you can find me on linkedin uh pretty straight away i don't have a tiktok yet <laughs> and okay. i would say i'm far more active on linkedin and instagram these days than i am on uh twitter or facebook but okay. those are the best vehicles for me if you go on youtube and you want to look at some of my past catalog at david ruckman creative on youtube Okay. Um, now they added the ads there. That's a little easier too. But um, yeah, a lot of my past video work is there. Um, some unveiling videos we've done for previous brands um, and other interviews conducted, including when we debuted the Pitmasters brand with a local TV station. That's one of my favorite interviews ever. So oh wow, that uh, out when you have a chance. Okay, very cool, very cool. All right, and uh, so I end each episode with the same question. What has been the best walk-up or warm-up song you've heard in your baseball career, and whose was it? There's so many. There are so many. The one that actually got me out of my seat and started the press box dancing to it, having a great time, really setting the tone for my entire minor league career. Uh, William Rosario was a catching prospect for the Colorado Rockies. And he played for the Tulsa Drillers from 2010 through 2011. Okay. Uh, his walk-up song was El Café by Tito Swain. Okay. Um, it is a very, very catchy song. You could find it on Spotify, uh, Apple Music, or YouTube, wherever you listen to music. Um, Tito Swain, uh, El Café is that song. And it will get you up and moving. It was so much fun. Um, Rosario was always a great guy to work with on videos, but that is maybe the best walk up. It, it, it would be easy to go to Troy Tulowitzki and say Party in the USA when he did some rehab assignments or some of these other ones, but that song stuck, sticks out to me. I still listen to it on Spotify, in fact. And, okay. Uh, it's a great time, great vibe. All right. Well, we're going to ride out. To, you know right out the end of the episode with that song so um thank you so much david really appreciate you taking the time and coming on to the pulling tart podcast um thank you so much for all your enlightenment and all your stories um this is going to be a great episode i appreciate that thanks for having me on it's um it's always great to reminisce on some of these great stories so you've done me a favor and uh, flooded my mind with nostalgia so i should thank you as well but yeah I really appreciate it, man. Yeah, anytime, man. Thank you so much, and uh, let's stay in touch, okay? Yeah, absolutely. I'll be uh, listening to you from now on, episode 126 through 2000, whatever ends up being. All right. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. All right.
You've listened to the Pulling Tarp Podcast, distributed by Stoveleg Media. Make sure you check out our page at stoveleg.com to learn more about Bobby and the rest of the show. Stoveleg Media, igniting conversation. Hello, everyone. I'd like to invite you to listen to a new podcast called Artrageous. It's a podcast about the truly outrageous stories of the art and design world. I'm your host, Carrie, and each week we'll cover stories that are just plain crazy. Join me every Thursday for a new episode with stories from art theft, fraud, crime, and mysteries to designer drama, fun conversation tidbits, and discussions about current events. Find Artrageous wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Until then, stay Artrageous. At True Crime Cast, we cover the big names and cases that everybody wants to hear. But we specialize in the small town unknown cases you've never heard of. If you're listening to True Crime Cast, you'll hear us give the details of each case and our analysis of whether or not justice is served. Find us wherever you find your favorite podcast. Y'all should go ahead and subscribe and join in on the conversation. I'm Jamie. And I'm John. This is True Crime Cast. 